Well, good morning. Back in the 90s, a film was produced called A River Runs Through It. It's a story that follows two Presbyterian boys to a Presbyterian minister, one studious, the other rebellious, as they grow up and they come of age. It's set in the Rocky Mountain region in the US during the early 1900s. The older brother, he's quiet, he's hard-working, he's well-respected within the community, has a job, etc. He's tear-away younger brother, he's great fun, but he's always getting into trouble as he seems to be just wanting to push the boundaries. He ends up mixing with the wrong crowd that leads him deeper and deeper into trouble and ultimately he loses his life. And it's a quite moving, tragic story where the older brother can see just what's happening with his younger brother. But he feels helpless to assist. They'd sort of grown too far apart. And try as he may, he he couldn't get through to his younger brother. He couldn't rescue him. We come to our passage today that speaks of Jesus as our big brother of a much larger family, but a big big brother where he could, and he did come to where his brothers and sisters were. He launched himself, as it were, into their world of sin and death. He identified with them, shared their experiences, and then rescues them from it. He's far from helpless as he's able to rescue us if we will but Trust him. And so we come to Hebrews 2, verses 10 to 18 today. And from verses 10 to 11, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. And so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists. Paul reminds us in Colossians that all things have been created through him and for him. So you and I have been created for God, been created by him, but we have been created for him. We exist for God. We don't exist, sorry, he doesn't exist for us. He doesn't exist for our benefit in that sense. Because he is love, he serves us. But we exist to bring him glory to point others to him, to bless him, to worship him with the way that we live our lives. We exist for him, for God. It's not, life isn't about us, it's about God. We've been created for him. You have not been created for your own self-fulfillment, for your own self-pleasure. You've been created to bring glory to God. And so everything we do then is meant to bring glory to him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, whatever you do, do it all 
for the glory of God. Do it all, whatever you do. Do everything for the glory of God. David said in Psalm 148 that all of creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the hills, the sea creatures, the cattle, the plants, the birds, everything, that includes you and I, were created to praise God, to glorify God. And so God has a wonderful plan for us all. It was right and proper. It was fitting that God would provide our elder brother, Jesus, the pioneer, to forge the way through for us to be able to follow him and return into the love and the presence of our Father, our loving Father. Such is the Father's heart for us. It is right, it is proper, it is fitting that God, because of who God is, for whom and through whom everything exists, it is fitting that he would bring sons and daughters into glory. How fitting it is that the God of mercy, the God of of grace, he would find a way for us to return to him as his children. He found the only fitting way for us to be saved through the gift, the life, the death, the resurrection of his own son. It is fitting that God would do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. It is befitting of God. In a sense, God couldn't help himself because that's his nature. It is fitting that God, because of who God is, would bring many sons and daughters into glory. Verse 10 goes on to say that it was fitting that God should make the author, or in some versions, the pioneer of their salvation, perfect through what he suffered. Jesus is our pioneer. He's the one who leads the way, who opens up the way. And you can imagine an explorer cutting his way deep into a jungle. Nobody has been this way before. There are no trails. There are no signs that this is even possible or suggestions that this is possible. Yet he goes forward. He forges his way through insufferable terrain until he reaches his goal. Others can then follow. And in the past, explorers have attempted such kinds of feats for various reasons. It might be for fame or fortune, maybe even curiosity. I'm going to go through here just to see what's there. Jesus, however, doesn't do it for fame or fortune or curiosity. He does it for love. And the jungle in this case, is our world of sin, suffering, pain, death. Nobody had done what Jesus did. He opened up the way into God's new world, his kingdom, cutting his way through into a land unseen before. And he invites us to come his way and to follow him. If you're sick and tired... Sick and tired of living in this jungle. He invites you to follow him. And even now begin to taste the wonder of the kingdom that lies ahead. The author says, 
For he is now crowned, if we go back to verse 9, he is now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He tastes death so that we might taste life in all of its fullness. In bringing many sons to glory, sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. He forged the way through our jungle by his death. And that is, again, emphasised in verses 14 through to 15. By his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were, lay, were held in slavery by their fear of death. The writer says that Jesus was made perfect through what he suffered. Wasn't Jesus already perfect? Isn't he already perfect? Wasn't he always sinless? We'll come back to that in a moment. But I want us to first notice that he forged the way he forged the way through by his death, by his suffering. And again, the God of mercy, the God of grace, would find a way for us to return to him as his children. He knew that we could never find our own way because our sin separates us from him. Our, our obedience to the law could never satisfy because our heart is sinful to the core. Only Jesus' death would satisfy. Only Jesus' death would be the perfect sacrifice. And the author is seeking to emphasise that Jesus' life, death and resurrection has done away with the old system, the old way under Judaism. Remember, he's writing to predominantly Jews who have been brought up in Judaism and he's trying to, to, to just bring out the new covenant, the new way through Christ. Now the word perfect in this verse does not mean morally flawless. Rather it means complete. Not that Jesus was made morally flawless because he was already morally flawless but that through his suffering and death his life and work were completed. Now, he was fully qualified to provide us with salvation through his death. And as Jesus has walked this earth, his life and work were brought to completion by his death. He was perfect in his life and his work, and that was brought to its completion through his death and resurrection he was perfect in his obedience, perfect in his union with the Father, perfect in his identity with us as human beings, perfect in his conquest over sin. He was and is perfect. Therefore, God affirmed that. That completion of his work as he raised him from the dead. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. It was his death that completed his work, his obedience, his victory over sin. 
And as such, he is our perfect pioneer, fully qualified to lead us through our jungle into eternity where we no longer fear death. We no longer fear death. He is therefore also our perfect high priest. Again, the writer is seeking to emphasise that to those who were brought up in Judaism. Jesus is our perfect high priest. Verses 17 through to 18. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So whatever we're facing in our lives, he, our great high priest, is able to help us. This verse says he's able to help those who are being tempted. He's able to help us. He helps us through our fears where we no longer even fear death. In his mercy, he makes, has made atonement for our sin. Is he your high priest? In other words, is he the one that you run to when you need help? Isn't that what a priest is there for? You run to the priest for help? Doesn't he bring comfort and peace and guidance, as does a priest? You see, the the high priest in the Old Testament was one who, who stood as representing God, and calling the people to holiness, extending God's mercy towards a sinful people. But the priest in the Old Testament also stood as representing the people, identifying with them and appealing to the Lord for his forgiveness. Jesus is our perfect high priest. And he's not like some distant brother who's unable to cross the gulf to to rescue his brother or sister. Rather, Jesus shared in flesh and blood. He knew what it was like to be a helpless baby. He knew what it was like to be a growing child, a maturing adolescent. He knew the experiences of weariness and hunger and thirst. He knew what it was like to be hurt by other people. Just as you and I are hurt by other people, he, knew, he knows what that's like. He knew what it was like to be despised by somebody, to be rejected, to be betrayed, to be falsely accused of something he never did. He knew what it was like to be hurt, to suffer physical pain and even death. And in his death he made atonement for our sin. Once and for all, for all time, and for all who will believe. He is both merciful and faithful, perfect in mercy, perfect in faithfulness. He, our high priest, is more than able to help us. He's more than able to help you. And of course, Jesus is our example 
as followers of him, we need to ask ourselves, how merciful, how faithful are we? So when it comes to being merciful, can we refrain from giving to others what we think they deserve? Or are we quick to retaliate with a a sarcastic word, perhaps a punishment or seeking revenge? Are we quick to, to give to others what we think they deserve? How merciful are we? How faithful are we toward one another? When we say we'll do something, do we actually try to do everything we can to see that through? How faithful are we with the Lord? Or do we make promises to him that ultimately just become a tentative wish? Do we seek to be faithful, those of us in our marriages, to the vows that we have made before God and to our partner? Do we seek to be faithful in the way that we try to live our lives to honour the Lord? Merciful and faithful is our great high priest. Perfectly merciful, perfectly faithful. And he's not only prepared the way to glory, but he makes us holy along the way. We are being transformed into the image of Jesus. We are being set apart from the people of the world and we are being sanctified, we're being cleansed, we're being made holy. We go back to verse 11. But the one who makes people holy and those who are being made holy are of the same family. And so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. In the words of the writer of Hebrews, by tasting death for everyone, by providing such a great salvation, by bringing many sons and daughters into glory, Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. Now you might have an older brother or sister who made it their duty to lord it over you. Often the oldest in the family is the one who has to, in a sense, blaze the trail. They, in some ways, assert their independence from their parents, or at least they assert their authority over their younger siblings. I'm older than you, I know what I'm doing. You don't. They often feel the pressure of setting the right example for younger brothers and sisters, often resent being the ones who have to look after the younger brothers and sisters. They're often not very sympathetic toward their siblings. Not so with Christ. We are children of God, adopted into his family, co-heirs with Christ, brothers and sisters of Jesus, he's not ashamed to recognise us as such. Even though we might be like the younger brother 
Even though we are so sinful, like the younger brother, we're bent on going our own way, we're bent on rejecting the offers of the, the older brother. Even still, he is holy, merciful, faithful. He's cleared the way, he's opened up the way, he's rescuing us from the present danger, he's assuring us of eternal salvation And he's so happy to call us his brother and sister, even though we might reject him, even though we might hurt him. He's happy to call you his brother or his sister. He doesn't lord it over us. He offers us his love and forgiveness, his mercy, his faithfulness. He's not ashamed to call you his brother or sister. But are you ashamed to call him Yours. Are you ashamed to call him your brother, your Lord, your Saviour? In your workplace, with your friends, perhaps even family. I once challenged one of my bosses, and it wasn't in a confrontational way, but But he would often use Jesus' name in vain and I let it go for quite some time until I thought that he might actually respect my opinion. And so what I did was I simply asked him to try to refrain from using Jesus' name in vain. Why? Because I said to him, Jesus is actually my best friend. Well, thankfully he did, and I watched his manner and his attitude change in other positive ways too. See, Jesus is not ashamed of you. Even though you may have often let him down, like the youngest brother, you've ignored him, you've gone your own way, you've found yourself lost in your jungle, he's still not ashamed of you. But he does want to warn you And he says this in Matthew chapter 10. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before the Father in heaven. And so maybe today you want to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. He is the great high priest. He is your elder brother who loves you, who has forged the way, who forgives you, who rescues you for eternity. I want to encourage you to acknowledge him before others. Praise God for our big brother. Praise God for our only saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.